In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, as we gather here this morning, may our hearts and minds be turned to you. May our spirits be open to the Holy Spirit. And may we hear how you want to speak to us, Lord, and may we receive it in love. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, before uh, getting started, I'd like to give credit to where credit is due. And I use two primary sources for this talk. First, Father Daniel Chowning's uh, paper called Free to Love, Negation in the Doctrine of John of the Cross. And second, notes from a talk Francis and Deacon Mark and I gave. Uh, and it's called Nada, 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 as I recall. <laughs> I want to specifically disclaim using chat GPT for this talk. <laughs> we should pray for Father Joe that he can rely on his own brilliance and not the internet. There you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, the takeaway from all this is anything good you hear, I got from somewhere else and everything else I added. So... Now, given that the theme today is We Are the Light of the World, it may seem a bit odd that the title of this talk is Finding Our Way in the Dark. But as Carmelites, we know that even though we ourselves are still on the path to that most intimate relationships with God, that being spiritual marriage, we also know that the path passes through the dark valley, the dark night. Therefore, if we're going to be that light of the world, we're going to have to be able to find our way in the dark in order to be a light for others. Now, of course, we have the surest of guides, our Holy Father, St. John of the Cross, but this poses a problem for us. While St. John of the Cross is arguably among the most profound of Carmelite saints, He's not the easiest to understand, nor from the outside looking in, the most approachable. Not like St. Therese or even our Holy Mother. In fact, many find him downright scary. <laughs> Father Chowning says that some find him more than scary. They find this great saint of ours disturbing and even masochistic. Now, to be fair, most people don't find our Holy Father himself scary, that is, in his person, but they admire him, in fact, and find him to be holy, inspiring, intriguing, devout, sublime, and so on. What they find scary are his teachings, his spirituality. It's so dark. That's why Father Chowning calls St. John's spirituality one of negation or nada. My goal today is to draw upon Father Chowning's wisdom and the writings of St. John of the Cross to help us find our way in the dark, to make St. John's spirituality a bit less scary and even attractive, and to be able to recognize it for what it truly is, the way of love. In this way, we can be a light to the world so that we can, through our Holy Father's help, find our own way in the dark and help others to do the same. Let's start by looking at what might lead someone to believe that St. John of the Cross's spirituality is dark or scary. Father Chowning gives several examples from St. John's ascent of Mount Carmel, like, quote, Endeavor to be inclined always, not to the easiest, but to the most difficult. 
not to the most delightful, but to the most distasteful. Not to the most gratifying, but to the less pleasant. Not what means rest for you, but hard work, unquote. Other examples are very easy to find. In his sayings of light and love, we find in number 18, the soul that carries within itself the least appetite for worldly things bears more unseemliness and impurity in its journey to God than if it were troubled by all the hideous and annoying temptations and darknesses describable. The least appetite for worldly things is more hideous than that. Number 96, be interiorly detached from all things and do not seek pleasure in any temporal thing. Number 174, as for trials, the more the better. And number 175, what does anyone know who doesn't know how to suffer for Christ? Unsurprisingly, some react to these and similar passages from St. John of the Cross the same way our disciples did that we heard this morning in Mass. That is, when he said, to have eternal life, you must eat my body and drink my blood, to which they said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Who can listen to it? And many left him. In just the same way, many are put off by St. John of the Cross's spirituality of negation and darkness. These are hard sayings. Who can listen to them? But our Holy Father, I want to assure you, isn't a masochist, nor does he hate created things. Rather, it is our appetites and affections that have put our priorities so out of order that his words seem dark, harsh, and radical. You see, when it comes to God, St. John of the Cross is all in. He is put out into the deep ocean of love, whereas we all too often want to stay close to the beach, make sandcastles, and splash about in the shallows, as it were, where it's safe. But love is not and can never be safe. To truly love, we must be all in too. The fact is, our Holy Father's writings are ultimately about love. He's in love, passionately in love with God, and he wants us to experience that same kind of love too. But to do that, we have to get our house in order, if you will. We have to put first things first. We can't plumb the depths of love on the shore. We have to put out into the deep, too. St. John of the Cross first learned what love looked like from his parents, for they were deeply in love. Their story gives us a look at what may well have motivated this great saint. St. John's father, Gonzalo de Jepez, was of noble origin but orphaned early in life. The uncle who raised St. John was very rich and very successful in the silk merchant business. He was from Toledo, Spain. As a young man, Gonzalo became rich and successful in the silk trade too. 
Soon he was the manager of the entire family's silk enterprise. While on a trip that took him through Castile, he stopped to visit a rich widow who ran a silk weaving business out of her home. Working and living with her was a beautiful young woman who was also an orphan, Catalina Alvarez. But unlike Gonzalo, who was a member of the nobility, Catalina was poor, and therefore a member of Spain's lowest class. Despite this difference, they fell in love and decided to marry. Now, to marry outside of your class in Spain at that time was unheard of. The wealthy widow warned Gonzalo and Catalina about the consequences of their decision, but they got married anyway. And, just as she predicted, Gonzalo was disowned, disinherited, and abandoned by his uncle and the rest of the family. And though quite talented, he couldn't find work and was forced to eke out a living weaving silk as Catalina did before they were married. They essentially lived in poverty. They had three sons. The second one died of malnutrition. John was the youngest. Father Chowning observed that despite all this, Gonzalo's and Catalina's passionate love for each other enabled them to transcend themselves, their circumstances, as well as their social and economic hardships. Life never became easy for them, but they had stolen each other's hearts, and nothing else mattered. Gonzalo, Father Chowning continued, must have been a man extraordinarily unattached to the things of this world. For he sacrificed his position, security, and all of his possessions for his beloved. Our Holy Father then grew up in poverty from a material perspective, but was exceedingly rich spiritually. In his parents, he saw an example of sacrificial love seldom equaled and spiritual wealth beyond compare. This is why Father Chowning is convinced, and I am too, that love is at the heart of St. John's spirituality. But St. John's spirituality is about real love. Love that costs not something, but everything. This kind of love in action of which the Russian author Dostoevsky described as, quote, a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams, unquote. A self-sacrificing love that's the polar opposite of the romantic, starry-eyed love of Hollywood romances, teenagers, and immature adults. To give all, literally all, and to suffer for the beloved. So if love is at the heart of our Holy Father's spirituality, why is nothingness, nada, detachment, and the dark night of the senses and spirit so often associated with him? Well, to put it bluntly, it's because St. John of the Cross recognized just how lousy we are at loving and was explaining what we must do to fix it. He saw how much we put in the way of love, how afraid we are to love, 
How unwilling we can be to give up what we need to, what we must, in order to love. Our negative reaction to St. John's via negativa reveals more about us than it does about him. It reveals how afraid we are of this kind of love because of what it calls us to. And as a result, we're constantly looking for love in all the wrong places. Namely, in ourselves, in other people, or even in things rather than God. St. John recognized that in order to love God and people rightly, we have to love them in the proper order. That is, not inordinately. Inordinate literally means out of order. The right order of love is God first, people, that is, our neighbors, next, and things, to put it plainly, not at all. We're to love people and use things. When we love inordinately, when we get the order of love wrong, we can end up loving things and using people and merely paying lip service to God. And since most are so fixated on the things of this world, a radical reorientation is required for most of us. This is why the word nada or nothing has become essentially synonymous with St. John of the Cross in Carmelite spirituality. To love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, we must be attached to nothing. Not to sin, it goes without saying, but also to nothing in this world and to nothing, as St. John will also teach us, out of this world, if you will. That is, spiritual things. Whether some, when some, excuse me, Whether something is good or bad, whether it's spiritual or material, if it prevents us from loving God first, it must be removed. We must not be attached to things of heaven nor those of earth, only God. This, I think, is where the mistaken charge of masochism and despising created things is unfairly leveled at St. John of the Cross. Because allowing God to help us give up our inordinate desires is a hard, painful, grueling, and long process. Such a radical reorientation can seem masochistic on the surface, from the outside looking in, but it isn't. It's part of getting and keeping our priorities rightly ordered, and it's a lifelong endeavor. On your tables, I put this famous drawing by St. John of the Cross that shows us the way to Mount Carmel. Now, I'm not going to go over this drawing in detail, but I'd like to contrast the way of the perfect and the imperfect spirit and look at some of the things that, are, that we can experience along the way. Let me read some of them to you. Peace, joy, happiness, delight, goods of heaven, glory, joy, knowledge, consolation, rest, goods of earth, Possessions, charity, piety, fortitude. 
it's interesting to note that all these things which are good are what we are not to set our hearts upon even though they are in fact good things. It's important to remember also that this whole diagram depicts these goods in relation to God. We know that all goods, when rightly ordered with respect to God, are things God wants us to have. Because St. John points out that when we least desire them, we have them all without desire. This is essentially what detachment and abandonment of the heart and will is all about. But such detachment and abandonment is but the first aspect of St. John's radical temporal and spiritual reorientation for us. Before I get to that, I would uh, encourage you to take this paper, and there are extras over here if I don't have enough, and take it with you for your meditation and contemplation this afternoon. Now, the second aspect of St. John's program of radical temporal and spiritual reorientation is even more radical. Okay? St. John's spirituality seeks to free us from the limits of our human nature, our senses, our intellect, memory, and will so that we might, through God's grace and power, enter into a uniquely intimate relationship with him. A relationship a love rooted in, the, in spirit and in truth. We do this by setting aside our senses as well as our intellect, memory, and will as a means of encountering God. Our finite senses and reason cannot grasp divinity. And grasp is just what St. John would not have us do. Therefore, in order to go beyond what the limits of our senses, physical and spiritual, allow us to do, we need to empty ourselves of ourselves and trust him and be quiet and receptive before our Lord. He will come to us in our inner room if we but wait for him. We need to practice self-emptying love like our Lord did. This is where the real darkness, if you will, comes in. We cannot reach and we must not try to grasp God with our human capabilities and faculties. We must detach even from this, abandon ourselves to him, and in nakedness of spirit and silence, wait for him. Uh, Spousal image is the key to understanding where St. John is leading us here. In marriage, the relationship of spouses transcends rules. Spouses do not grasp at love. They bind themselves freely to each other and are willing to suffer for their beloved. They're not selfish. Spouses don't operate using checklist rules and laws. That's for machines, games, and societies, respectively. <clears throat> On the summit of Mount Carmel that St. John's spirituality leads us to, there is no law but the law of love. Our relationship with God is that of lover, God, and the beloved, us. 
God took the initiative to create us out of love and to suffer for us. And we must never forget that love is to love is also to suffer. When we love, we will suffer in many ways, of course, but also in a very specific way, which John refers to as the woundedness of love. A deep longing to be with, to be united with, to be in union with the beloved. And what I found, find rather fascinating and even staggering about St. John's insight is the fact that God, too, is wounded with love. He also experiences a deep longing to be with, to be united with, to be in union with us. An intimate relationship cannot be a one-way street. It runs two ways. But then that's what love is, right? In the spiritual canticle, the bride that is, you and I, longing for our beloved, (coughs) cry out, Where have you hidden, beloved, and left me moaning? You fled like a stag after wounding me. I went out calling you, but you were gone. To which the bridegroom, that is God, responds, Return, dove. The wounded stag is in the sight on the hill, cooled by the breeze of your flight. St. John explains, beholding that the bride is wounded with love for him, he also, because of her moan, is wounded with love for her. Among lovers, the wound of one is a wound for both, and the two have one feeling. In his spiritual maxim, number 26, St. John explains further how God is actually captivated, captivated by a beautiful soul and can be wounded by a mere look from that soul. He does this using a rather unusual analogy. He writes, Frequent combing gives the hair more luster and makes it easier to comb. A soul that frequently examines its thoughts, words, and deeds, which are its hair. Doing all things for love of God will have lustrous hair. Then the spouse will look upon the neck of the bride and thereby be captivated, and will be wounded by one of her eyes, that is, by the purity of intention she has in all she does. If in combing hair one wants to have luster, one begins from the crown. All our works must begin from the crown, the love of God, if we wish them to be pure and lustrous. You see, both we who are human and God who is divine are drawn to what we love. God to us because he loves us, and we to him because we should love him above all else. That's part of the law of love, which is to say that is the very essence of God who is love. Our love is our gravity. Do we love the things of this world? Then we'll be drawn to and held fast by the things of the earth. Do we love God? 
then we will be drawn to heavenly, spiritual things, and ultimately, to Him. We find this principle beautifully illustrated in the Paradiso of Dante's Divine Comedy. Dante is being escorted through the nine spheres of heaven by Beatrice and is amazed as well as confused to find that he has left the earth and is rising through the heavens, not by the power of Beatrice, but of his own accord. Now, remember, he's already been led through hell. He's been purified in purgatory and is now free of all inordinate attachments to the world. And Beatrice his guide, for her part, is amazed that Dante is amazed. That he doesn't understand what is happening. And so she explains, it is the nature of a thing to seek its end. Now that you are free from all inordinate attachments, you are moving toward your end, which is union with God. You should be no more surprised about this than that fire rises or a mountain stream flows down to the valley. When we give up all, when we lose everything, even our very selves for God, we gain everything. St. John said it this way, I lost myself and I was found. And he explains further, to be lost is to be so much in love with Christ that we proclaim his gospel without fear of what others may think. To be so stricken by love that we forget ourselves and our own security and concentrate only on the beloved and his affairs. To be taken so up, to be so taken up rather, with the love of God and neighbor, that we no longer seek our own selfish gain, but live for love alone. To be lost is to live in the beloved. In being lost this way, we find our true self in Christ. This is the freedom to love. According to Father Chowning, this is what happened to Gonzalo, John's father. For the love of Catalina, he lost all things, all his false security, his reputation, honor, wealth, comfort, and family. And as a result of his loving attention for his beautiful bride alone, all these things fell away. Nothing else was left. But in that nothing, that nada, united with his beloved, he found his true self. I'll close with a quote from Father Chowning. Negation in the works of St. John of the Cross is then essentially the gospel path of love. It is born out of an experience of being loved by God and is a response to God's invitation to live in union with God, others, and all creation. In this sense, it is a loving attentiveness to God as the source and center of our lives, without in any way disparaging or denying anything created. It is a dynamic, self-giving love, exemplified in the life of Jesus, leading to self-transcendence and freedom. Negation is growing free to love, unquote. St. John of the Cross 
is showing us how to love perfectly. Only in love can we find our way through the dark. And we must not be afraid to go down this path. For perfect love casts out all fear. Thank you.